And before we get into Genesis 20 this morning, I just wanted to just talk as a church together. I guess I'm talking, you're listening, but hopefully it'll be helpful for us as we're processing just what's gone on in our nation over the national election and just talk about some of the realities of our day, realities for the church, and then just the opportunities that are before us as people who love Jesus, and, and then just to pray for us on that. So we didn't need the election to know that the United States are actually divided. It's the election that just surfaces it again and heightens the deep divisions that exist in our nation. So there's divisions around race, around gender, around class, around the generations, between the generations, between political parties, worldviews, ideologies. That's the reality of the world that we live in. And some of that division uh, just flows right out of some of the deep fear that existed before the election and certainly exists after the election. So Lori was subbing at a school in Madison and she's telling me about these these kids, minority kids, Latino kids, that came to school in tears. They were just completely afraid of what it meant for family or friends. There's been a lot of anger before the election, after the election. And we're not really good at listening to each other. Actually, where we're good at listening is to the people that are like us. But we're not really good at talking and listening to people who may have a different perspective. The, the idea of, of, of civil discourse, of, of sharing ideas together, we're good at shouting. We're not good at listening. That's a reality. And the reality is that the divisions that are out there in our country, in our city, in our community, actually exist in the church and in our church. It exists in life groups. Some of us are going, oh man, I don't know if I want to go to life group this week because I know how they voted. And there's so much tension there. And it exists actually within families. I had someone last night say, yeah, we're a divided family. We're not, we're not all on the same page here. So let me give you a perspective on that. There are a lot of people going to churches this week where everybody's on the same page. Everybody's lamenting and sad or everybody is high-fiving going, yes! And that is not who we are. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that by God's grace, we've been trying to keep Christ at the center and we really do believe what we often say, politics divides, but the gospel, what? Unites us. So the divisions are in the church. And let me say this. Our mission is made harder when Christians get distracted with politics, thinking somehow that politics is the answer to the world's problems. The mission also gets really jeopardized in this. There's a whole bunch of people that when they hear that you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, or a self-described, as the exit poll calls it, an evangelical, what did it say? The exit poll said 80% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Well, actually, let me give you a corrective on that. That would be 80% of white evangelicals. Are Latino brothers and sisters, are African-American brothers and sisters? Mm-mm. But here, here's, here's what's happening is 
right or wrong, the perception is this. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You say you love Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus' ways. You don't care about the poor. You, you don't care about m- minorities. You don't have compassion towards the marginalized in our society. And so it makes it harder for us to advance the cause of Christ. But here's what we know as a final and ultimate reality that before Tuesday, on Tuesday, early Wednesday morning today, God is on the throne. He's in control, right? And Jesus Christ still is our only hope, personally, in our families, in this church, in our community, for our nation and the world. He is the promised king. The one who was born in humility, he lived in obscurity, and he died in disgrace on the cross for you and me. And so there's great opportunities to, like Jesus, live in humility. A humility that is formed by the gospel. And the gospel keeps reminding us of two disparate truths but are wonderfully true all at the same time because of God's grace that we are more deeply flawed than we know and we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And that brings an appropriate gospel-formed humility as we do life with each other and those in this world who may not be like us, look like us, think like us, talk like us, hope like us. There's opportunities in new ways more than ever to love our neighbor as ourselves. To do what we always talk about doing, to seek the peace, the shalom, the well-being in all phases of a person's life, the prosperity of our city to which God has called us, this community, the surrounding communities, to pray for that, to be people who do justice, be people who love mercy, and who walk with God in humility. Great opportunities opportunities to display the power of the gospel as we love one another, as we, by God's grace, become an answer to Jesus' prayer when he says, I pray, Father, that they would be one, even as you and I are one, so that the world would believe the gospel that you sent me into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. We have an opportunity to display the power of the gospel that Ephesians 2 tells us through Christ's death on the cross, he took disparate people where there's a lot of hostility between Jew and Gentile and with that all hostility between peoples and he destroyed this barrier of hostility and he made and is making a new humanity, a new race and we're part of it. And all the things that divide us out there The gospel is greater than that. Christ is greater than that. And so our desire, our hope, our prayers is that we would continue to be a Christ-centered church for all people where the power of the gospel is continually transforming our lives, changing us to be more like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to give like Jesus that the power of the gospel will be continually renewing our city and all the phases of our city. And the power of the gospel would continue to transform and change the world with his love. Would you join me in praying for these things? Lord, we just confess that there's stuff in our own hearts um, that isn't of you. 
There are fears that we have that are dividing us. There's things that we, we hold and think that, that aren't aligned with your heart and your ways. And so have mercy on us and help us to be your church that lives out and displays the beauty of your grace, the power of your grace, as we humbly follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever you send us. And we pray that your church would shine in such a way that not Door Creek, but Jesus Christ would grow to be more famous in our city as we love and serve like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. So isn't it interesting in God's providence? I love how God does this. Like, I mean, I don't know how long ago it was where, you know, we get, we, we get a date and it goes, uh, on this day, the 12th and 13th weekend of November, we're going to be preaching on Genesis 20. You know what Genesis 20 is all about? There's a dominant emotion in chapter 20, and it's fear. You think that's timely? I do. It's fear. You got people who are afraid of God and coming judgment. You got people who are afraid of each other, and it divides them. You got fear in a marriage, which is messing up a marriage big time, even though we don't have a lot of comment in chapter 20. And fear, the, the dictionaries will tell us, fear is this unpleasant emotion caused by this belief that something or someone could bring us great harm or be a threat to our security. It's that belief that something or someone could really mess up our lives, could really threaten our security, our health, our well-being. And here's what we're going to see in the text, is that fear has the power to either move us away from God or drive us to God. The same fear in a person, you and me, could either be used to drive us away from God, push us away, or drive us towards God. So here's the question. What's your greatest fear today? What do you fear most? I mean, we got a lot of fears. Living life in a broken world is meaning we deal with fear. What is your greatest fear today? And then if you could take a snapshot like, does anybody have, like, a new iPhone, like the 7? Have you noticed this when you load the pictures, go through the pictures, they, like, move? Have you seen that? Or is it just like my camera's broken or something like that? It's weird. It's almost kind of giving me vertigo, but it, it kind of moves. So if you could just look at the snapshot of your life related to your fear, is it moving like that away? Is it moving towards God? You got to kind of think about it. I think this text will help us know if which direction we're going in. So this is all about letting, by God's grace, the fear drive us to God who's faithful to his word. So that's what this message is all about. Grab your Bible, chapter 20. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, chapter 20. And um, the first 13, 14, 13 verses is all about the power of fear and what it can do, negatively, positively. And then, the second part is all about the power of God, his faithfulness, his grace to both the person who blows it and the person who gets it right, all right? God's faithfulness. So we read verses 1 through 8. Now Abraham moved on from there. There was, he was in Hebron, right, under the oaks of Mamre. And he moved into the region of the Negev. The Negev is south towards Egypt. And he lived between two cities, right, Kadesh and Shur. And for a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. Meet my sister, Sarah. 
Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Even though she's like 89, she was beautiful and he wanted her to be in the harem. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead. Because of the woman you've taken, she's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. Right? There's no sexual contact here. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And didn't she also say, he's my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And I, though, have kept you from sinning against, not her, against me. Of course, it would be against her, but against me, he says. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he'll pray for you, and you will live. And if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early in the morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. So here's the setting. Abraham's on the move. He's left Hebron. We don't know why. In chapter 12, like almost a mirror story, he leaves because there's a famine, chapter 12, verse 10, and so he's heading down to Egypt. But we're not told, and when we're not told, it's okay, not important. So he's on the move. He's moving to the south, towards the Negev, towards Egypt, and then he moves to the west, towards the Mediterranean, to Gerar, which would become the place where the Philistines, guys like Goliath, live. A lot of bad people in the Bible. And we meet this guy, Abimelech. So he's in a new place. You know, in Hebron, we were told that he built an altar and worships God. In chapter 18, he actually met God. God shows up, right, with the two angels. This is a special place. And some of us have those special places where we go, whoa, that is a place where I was really close with God. He's leaving that place. He doesn't have that sense as he travels to a foreign place. And in this foreign place, he starts to be afraid because he assumes, as we're going to read, that the people in this place don't know his God. And if they don't know his God, they won't know what is right and just. And that means that my life is in danger because what they're going to do is to kill me so they can have Sarah. That's how it's working out in his mind. And so he has a choice. He has a choice to function and operate now in faith or to operate in fear. He's a courageous man. We already know that. He's already left Ur of the Chaldees his home city, then he settles in Haran, and he was comfortable there with his people and the culture, and it was secure there. And God says, no, you're still not at the promised land. You need to move. You need to get to the promised land, to this place I'm going to show you. He's courageous. He's shown that. Chapter 14, when the messenger comes and says, Lot, his family, and everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah have been whisked away by these four evil kings, and he and his band of 300-some men go chasing up to Dan, 225 miles to the north, and he chases down. He's a shepherd. He's not a trained warrior. He's a courageous man. Not only that, he's had an experience in Egypt where the same thing happened in a foreign place, and he's nervous about what's going to happen to his neck. And so he says, sir, just give the shtick. We're brothers and sisters, right? And Pharaoh takes Sarah in. She's part of the harem. And God strikes all of Pharaoh's household with, with this plague of, like, disease and 
And God spares Sarah. And the wild thing is, Pharaoh rewards Abraham, gives him a bunch of loot and stuff, and he sends him on his way. He's had this experience where God has protected him and been faithful to his word of promise, which he's been reminded of over and over again. And most recently, a few weeks back, maybe a month back or two, when God shows up and says, this time next year, you're going to have a boy. His name is Isaac, your son from your wife. But he chooses, he chooses to operate in fear and moves to a mode of self-preservation instead of dependent trust on God. And his lack of courage here is not only risking Sarah's safety to save his own neck. That's the kind of guy you're all looking for, right, ladies? I mean... Not only that, but he's risking the plan of God. God's plan was my saving. So it's, it's good. when we keep hearing about the promise, th this promise in Galatians 3, I think it's verse 28, is the gospel preached to Abraham. This is the gospel promise of God saving people through Christ, so that the blessings to Abraham flow through Abraham's ultimate heir, Christ, to bless all the families of the world. And he's, he's like doing everything he can to muck it up. There's a lot of things at risk. And the question is, why would he do that? And we'd be quick to say, and why would he do it again? And then like when we get in touch with our own narrative and our own story, we go, yeah, why, why do we do some things again? Why are these things like these besetting sins or like this Achilles heel or this same area where I find it really, really hard to trust God? And so I get with those people and they have no clue that I'm on with Jesus. Or I get in front of that screen and I keep going back to the porn and I don't want to do that. Or I go on this business trip and I keep going to that place. And on it, we go, why are we doing it? Why, are we do why do we keep doing that? That actually was the question that Abimelech has of Abraham. Check it out, verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? This guy has a moral conscience, far more sensitive than Abraham's. You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Why did you do this? So Abraham's response, verse 11, note it. Abraham said, Abraham replied, I said to myself, underline that. That's a biggie. The text could read, I cried out to God. No, but in his moment of fear, when his neck's on the line, he started working it out in his mind. I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God, meaning there are people that worship God and serve God in this place, and because of that, they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, 
though not of my mother, and she did become my wife. And when God had me wandered, notice this, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So does anybody here talk to themselves? Anybody? Anybody? It's all right. It's good. You can talk to yourself. They say if we start answering ourselves, we're in trouble. Genesis 20 says, in a time of great crisis, fear, it is not a good idea to listen to yourself. Fear is real. Fear is part of life in the middle of the story. And there is... There, there's a crisis of faith. And just like in the Chinese, um, in the Chinese language, the, the word crisis is made up of two characters. One's danger, one's opportunity. The danger, fear, the crisis drives us away from God, <coughs> from depending upon God. The opportunity is it actually drives us and moves us closer to God. Here what we see in Abraham, it's moving him away from God. And the first thing that we note is that he was listening to himself. This is not a good thing. I'm going to get some water. This is not a good thing. There's no water in that bottle. I'm going to go back to my teacup. <coughs> so who are you listening to? He's listening to himself. And what happens is... Fears are strong, and fears have lots of messages. And because they're strong, we think they're true. It doesn't mean they're true. It means they're real, but they're not true necessarily. And so, you've got this man who is listening to himself. That's the first thing. And left to ourselves, fear moves us away from God. Fear preoccupies us. The emotions dominate our thinking. And the emotions, in a sense, dictate what is true. This is what's true. <coughs> because I feel it so deeply. This is true. And where does it go? Well, he's, he's convinced he's got to figure out who these people are. These are bad guys, and they're going to kill me to get to my wife. What does he do? He rationalizes his sin. Hey, look, she kind of is my, I know, she's, I know we're married, but she's kind of like my sister, right? <coughs> we have the same father. Then he goes one step further, and he actually blames God. Do you remember the story in Genesis 3 where um, God confronts Adam, and he, and he says, what, what did you do here? Why did you eat the fruit? Remember how Adam responds? Hey, the woman you gave me, she caused me to eat the fruit. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And so he's like, hey, well, we're good at this. We rationalize, well, I wasn't really, you know, it was kind of, yeah, a little bit of deceit, yeah, but, you know, there's a little bit of truth. So it's all good, right? No, it wasn't all good. It was all, it was all bad. And then he blames God. He says, when God called me, look, if God had never called me to leave the comfort and safety and security of my people, I could live in faith. But God, you put me in an impossible situation. That's where it's going. Not in a good direction. And what happens is he moves to this, thanks Wilmot, he moves to this position of self-preservation. 
And so what we're told in the text, verse 13, is when they left Haran, or Haran, chapter 12. So his dad died. They left already early. They got to Haran. They're doing life there. God calls them and says, you're not in the promised land. You've got to leave. From the moment they left the security of that place, he said, here's how we're going to roll, sister. I'm your brother. You're my sister. And if you, this is like, are you kidding me? If you really love me, Sarah, this is the shtick, okay? So what, what happens is, th- this is this ongoing life of compromise that he set in motion, not of trust. And when, when, when fear doesn't move us towards God, which is a choice of ours, it's not like, what's it going to do? No, 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 no. It's what are we going to do with the fear? Are we going to let this, this powerful dynamic move us towards God or let us go away from God? And, and so... Here's it working out in this man's life. And all I know is, left to ourselves without the grace of God, most times fear just away. Drifting, maybe just like in a riptide, flying away from God. That's just normal. The normal thing is, when I'm afraid of something, I move into self-preservation mode. I learned that like in the sixth grade, you guys. So if you knew me in the sixth grade, the last thing you would say of Mark my fear is, I'll bet you one day he's going to be a pastor. Oh, no, you wouldn't have. You would have said something like, I'll bet you this guy's killed. Back in, in my day where I lived, they called it the Audi home, the juvenile detention center. They said, I bet you this guy's going to end up in the Audi home. I was a mess. I was a hot mess. I love Jesus, but I got to middle school, and the rails fell off, and I could not figure out how to navigate loving Jesus and fitting in and finding my way in middle school. So I was a train wreck, I was a goofball, and I was a lot worse than a goofball. And I was constantly in trouble. And the notes were coming home week after week. There was the calls from the teachers, the the visits to the principal's office, and I figured, because my mother, she's a bless her heart, Swiss German lady, she was tough. And I figured, I am never going to see high school if this continues. And so I went into self-preservation mode, and I said, I got to figure out how to sign her signature. (laughs) No, you're laughing, but some of you did it. So just be honest. But here's the trick. Like the Swiss penmanship thing it wasn't american it wasn't anything that i could do so man i'm practicing i'm down in the basement where my room was and i'm at my desk and i used to have to do penmanship exercises so i'm doing a new kind of penmanship forgery exercise and i'm trying to get miriam my fair in the swiss style i'm working hard but at the end of the day, I, didn't, I wasn't confident this was good enough. And, and I was thinking, man, if my mother finds out, I am going to be in a heap of trouble. And that was for sure true because, you know what, I scrapped the plan. But I forgot to scrap the paper. <laughs> and when my mother saw the paper and what I was doing, the intent, the intent to deceive got me a month of grounding. Oh, my word. What's the point? It's not to throw out the paper. The point is, 
When you're afraid, the natural thing is to protect yourself. The faith move is to take this thing that's out of control, that you want to control, and let it take you to God. And in bringing your fear to God, his perfect love, the Bible says, 1 John 4, it chases away the fear. And what happens is, as we give him our cares, he gives us his peace. But that's not where the man of faith is going. The interesting thing is, the guy that's, that's the model for how you should respond is this guy Abimelech. This king from Gerar, from this people that he assumed, didn't fear God, know God. He's got greater sensitivity to the Lord. So here's the deal on Abimelech. Go back to verse 3. He meets God. So in this story, Abraham is thinking to himself. Abimelech is hearing God's voice and responding to God's voice and acting actually in faith as he takes God at his word. God speaks to him in a dream. By the way, that still happens. A common story line that we hear in Muslim areas of the world is many Muslims are coming to faith and the common story is they met Jesus in a dream. I'm not, I'm not, kidding, I'm not making this up. It's a common story. We've, we find God speaking in dreams. We find God speaking through a donkey to Balaam. There's a lot of ways that God speaks to us. So that could happen. But, but uh, this is the, the frequent, everyday way God speaks to us in his word. So Abimelech is allowing his fear to drive him to God. So he hears God's voice. God speaks to him. God warns him. God reminds him that even though you made a free choice, free choice, that I'm king, I'm sovereign, and your hands and your conscience may be clean and clear, but make no mistake of it, I've been in this story, and there was no way I was going to let you touch Sarah. He's in control. He's in control. And Abimelech scared to death, and his people scared to death, act in faith in this story, not Abraham. What is faith? What do I always say? Faith is taking God what? At his word. Taking God at his word. Obeying his commands. Trusting in his promises. So God says, look, man, you're a dead man. And if you don't return her, you and all your people are going to die, right? So what does he do? Verse 14. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother, your brother, I love it, your brother, a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Nothing in proper, immoral has happened. You have done nothing wrong, right? By the way, a thousand shekels. We know in that time in world history, a Babylonian laborer was making like a half a shekel a month. Six a year. This is a lot of money. Then Abraham prayed to God, verse 17, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abram's wife, Sarah. 
And so here's the opportunity that we have with fear to drive us towards God. And that's going on in this man's life. And, and he's confronted with the faithfulness of God and his grace. So he and his people are spared. They're healed. And we notice that this grace has changed this man. This man who took Sarah. This man who was told to give her back. With Sarah gives the cattle, the sheep, you know, all the livestock to make Abraham a greater, richer man. And he brings him male and female servants. And he brings him, hey, wherever you want to settle in the land. Remember Pharaoh in chapter 12? Hey, dude, you got to get like a long way away from here because you are, you are a bad disease for all of us. So leave this place. Well, Abimelech says, hey, man, anywhere in the land, it's all there before you. You pick your back 40. It is all good. You settle in. You can homestead right here in Gerar. Right, and then on top of the land, on top of the cattle, the sheep, the servants, the men and the women, he says, he says, man, not just that. He says, a thousand pieces of shekel, a thousand shekels of silver, a lot of, a lot of money. So it's grace. And because of God's faithfulness, grace went out to Abimelech and changed him and saved his people. Because of God's faithfulness to his promise, grace goes out to Abraham. See, it's really easy. So the Bible says, uh, when we walk in obedience, we find God's blessing. And it says when we, when we, when we stray away from that, we, we don't walk in God's grace. But it doesn't mean that God is somehow hand-tied. And we find here where, where he, God could have cursed him, but he didn't. He was, he was faithful to his word of promise to Abraham, even though Abraham wasn't faithful. And so Sarah is spared. The promise is in play. He is a richer man, right? And he's given the land. It's, it's all because of God's grace. And the grace that was supposed to bring blessing to the people of Gerar, because remember what God said, Abraham, blessing you. And through you, all the families are going to be blessed. He was supposed to move into Gerar and bring God's blessing. But his fear kept him from that. But now he is bringing God's blessing because he prays. And through his prayer, the people are healed. So let's just talk about, as we bring it home, our fears. Just personally and then corporately. So I ask you, what's your greatest fear? I asked you for the snapshot. Now, now we know a little bit more. Let me ask you some questions to help you kind of ascertain where are you at? Are you in a healthy place here as you're dealing with fear or an unhealthy? So are the fears, are we letting them drive us towards God or away? Are we turning in faith to God or are we on the self-preservation, I better forge my mom's signature? Are, are, are we listening to God's voice or are we listening to our own voice or other voices? Here's what I know. Fear, the Bible says, is not from God. In 1 John 4, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We've already talked about that. And our lack of faith is actually described in the Bible as sin. The lack of faith is sin. So in Romans 14, 
Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And so we confess our sin, our lack of faith, our trying to be our own savior, our rationalizations, our blaming God, our manipulating people that we love. We confess that. We confess the things that have been divided because we've operated in fear, our relationship with God, our relationship maybe with a spouse or a brother or a sister or a parent or a child. We confess the division that our fear has caused in our communities. And we cling to Jesus. And we remember he is not, the Bible says, given us a spirit of fear. That's not from God. He has given us, 2 Timothy 1.7, love, power, and self-control. The spirit that's placed within us, it's a powerful, it's a loving, it's a self-controlled spirit. So we don't let our emotions take us all over the map. So friends, don't be surprised when, like Abraham, you have this occurring hard place in your life to trust God. That's not unusual. Just kind of like this Achilles heel. When I get in this situation, it's just hard for me to respond with faith. Don't be surprised by that. And don't be surprised that a time of great courage and you're like, man, God, do you help me do it? Awesome. Don't be surprised that the next time you have that same thing, you go, oh, God, I, I just fell flat on my face. And don't be surprised if you feel like, oh man, I've done a lot of face plants lately, that God in his grace could give you the courage to allow the fear to move you in the right direction. And so if we're gonna be people who are operating out of faith, the Bible's clear. Faith comes through the hearing of God's word, not listening to ourselves, not listening to other people. It's from God's word, and we're praying that God will renew and strengthen and give us faith. So we need to be people who are in the book, and we need to have the book in our lives so we don't just hear it, but by God's grace, we actually live it out. We do it. So the last thing. Is there a chance that your fear is dividing you not just from God, but from people in your life? Is it possible that fear is mucking up some of the closest relationships in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, a sibling, a close friend? Abraham's fear prevented him from what God wanted him to do, to bring blessing to Abimelech and Gerar. We're, we're spending too much time listening to things like, some of us are like Fox News junkies, conservative talk radio, maybe it's progressive talk radio, we, we've got the CNN thing, the Fox thing. We've got some blogger that we're, we're just, we got all these voices. Is, is there any surprise that, that we're just all jacked up in our country? Because we're not listening to God. And as a church, we need to lead the way. We need to listen to the Lord far more than all the things that are out there to choose from and the ones that we used to, we liked 
to listen to because they, they've kind of, that's how, that's how I think about it. I had a friend call me this week. He lives down in Louisville. He's an African-American. He said, it just happened. We didn't plan it, but a couple of guys uh, on, on Wednesday after the election, we got together. We were, we were uh, meeting at a restaurant and we just started to talk about who we voted for and why. And um, they didn't all vote for the same candidate. He said it was a fascinating, humbling, rich, healthy dialogue. That's good. May, may God root out the fear in our lives that are pushing us away from God, the closest people in our lives, and the people he's called us to serve, right? May God help us. Let's pray. Lord, chase away our fear. Forgive our sin. Our, our movement to be our own savior, to preserve our security somehow. You are security. You alone. Lord Jesus, you are our hope. And Lord, you and your grace have been faithful all the way to the cross to make sure that your plan of gospel salvation, good news salvation, would be that which we could taste and realize and share. And so, Lord, as we, we take our fears, we bring them to you. And thanks for chasing them away and giving us your peace. And filled with your peace, even in the midst of things that aren't settled and worked out yet, may we be people who bring peace and joy and hope to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. In Christ's name we pray. God's people said, amen.